This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, March 11th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. We are approaching the three-year anniversary of the death of Breonna Taylor at the hands of Louisville police. Almost on cue, the Department of Justice has recently detailed a laundry list of what appears to be a flagrant disregard that department has shown to the people of Louisville. Just before the DOJ's report was issued, I spoke with Jefferson County Circuit Judge Julie Kalin about reforms she's proposed to the issuance of search warrants in Kentucky and why the warrant issuance process is so important and why, too often, judges don't take it as seriously as they should. As of this recording date and as of the release date of this uh, podcast, we are at three years since the tragic death of Breonna Taylor at the hands of Louisville police. And there are still a lot of, uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings still in the public about that case. And a lot of them have to do with the warrants, multiple that were issued uh, to give police access to her apartment. And uh, you're a judge in Jefferson County. We have been friends for many years. We've talked about this uh, particular case uh, for a while, but I, w- I want to get your sense of how important it is that judges take their uh, jobs with respect to issuing warrants seriously. I know you have strong feelings about this, but but tell me, broadly speaking, when you think about issuing a warrant, what are the what are the biggest considerations? Why is that such a matter for serious, serious deliberation? Well, for one thing, you know, as you were just talking about, we're coming up on this um, anniversary, and that is a, a really good reminder of what can happen when things um, are not really, really well researched, thought out, and executed. Uh, when it comes to the issuance and carrying out of search warrants. You know, as you know, I was a criminal defense lawyer for many years before I was a judge, so this is something I've dealt with for a very long time and um, and campaigned on and have talked about how important it is for judges to really scrutinize uh, particularly warrants that relate to searching a person's residence, whether that be a home, a hotel, whatever it is. When looking at what I do, it's that's why it's so important to have judges from different backgrounds, in my opinion. Uh, I don't necessarily think you have to have been a criminal defense lawyer for 15 years before becoming a judge to really scrutinize a search warrant, but it doesn't hurt to have had some experience with it and in reviewing them um, and knowing how they are executed. I think a lot of judges across the country become judges without ever having practiced a um, criminal case seriously, or certainly without having seen dozens, if not hundreds of videos of search warrants actually being executed and seeing how it works in reality. I think having that uh, background certainly makes a big difference. So when you talk about scrutinizing warrants, what does defense experience bring to the table uh, when it comes to making sure that the warrant is is due that is that is 
it's it's important that police have this power to to engage in this incredibly invasive process and that uh, all of the information that has been presented makes that case strongly that a warrant is appropriate. Well, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And if you have personally seen hundreds and hundreds of warrants, um, you know, generally you are looking at them after the search has been conducted as an attorney. And so you can easily compare, okay, well, what actually happened and what did they actually locate? Uh, and what information did they actually have? You can compare that with what was this judge given? What information was the judge given when they granted this warrant? And um, a lot of times those things are valleys apart. Uh, what it says in the beginning or what they might expect to find or what they're telling the judge the evidence is, and then what you actually have, um, you know, in the end, once the search is conducted, the Breonna Taylor case is a good example of that. I, I don't necessarily... Think, and I'm certainly not saying that uh, officers have a habit of purposely putting exaggerated information in their affidavits requesting a search warrant. Um, however, I mean, they do have an incentive to shore it up, certainly, if they want it to be granted by a reviewing judge. And um, in my experience as an attorney and as a judge, um, we see a lot of Language that is boilerplate and or that exaggerates uh, the situation. So, for example, I may get a warrant request related to packages going through a mail facil facility or shipping facility. Those warrants often contain the exact same language and will say things such as drug traffickers typically package these parcels with uh, a lot of tape and use an oil to try to conceal the smell of the package. And sometimes it doesn't even say whether the package in question fits that description, but there's all this information in there. And so it seems like this is based upon real investigation. Um, but, you know, the judge has to read it pretty closely. I mean, no judge should miss that it doesn't address the actual package in question. But when you're looking at 20 affidavits that are six pages each, uh, a well-trained judge might, I could see how they could miss that. So this uh, gets to an issue when it comes to search warrant affidavits and their issuance. These affidavits are sworn affidavits that, that um, ought to contain information to the best knowledge of the people requesting the warrant. And the information in that affidavit should contain information that is particular to the individual or uh, the items that they would like to seize and search for. Yes, it should. Uh, the oath that is given to officers in Kentucky is you swear or affirm that the information contained in the affidavit is true and correct to the best of your knowledge. Now, that very last line there, to the best of your knowledge, is a pretty subjective standard. Certainly, I uh, hope and expect that any officer that signs such a sworn statement has done their due diligence. 
But in reality, we know that those statements are not challenged very often. And even when they are, reviewing courts are very want to forgive them, um, say that if the officer had good faith, that that creates an exception. Um, it, It is nearly impossible to show that at the time an officer signed such an affidavit, they were aware of uh, the information being false and purposely conveyed it to the judge knowing it was false. Uh, we're, we're sort of talking around the Breonna Taylor case, and I understand you can't uh, make uh, too many very highly specific comments about it, but this was a, this was a case where um, since the state has concluded its investigation, we have learned that officers did know or became aware that there was information in the affidavit that was false. Became aware is their position. Okay. I would I would say well, I was try, that trying to be generous. Position. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this was uh you know it speaks to the ability of judges to carefully understand uh what police are requesting and uh you know this is it's kind of easy to go along to get along if you're a judge warrants don't go bad in a in such a high profile way very often and i can see how judges might just say you know what it's fine and i i think that you know like i just said the oath is do you you know swear affirm this is true to the best of your knowledge and belief uh, if a judge has an officer saying, you know, I fully believe that everything I've put in this affidavit is true, of course they want to be able to rely on that. Of course the public wants to be able to believe that an officer is doing their due diligence. And so it's, it, it is very easy um, for judges to just take whatever is in the warrant at face value, particularly when um, it is extremely unlikely that there's going to be any real fallout from it if they're wrong. So, uh, you know, it, as people have read, especially in Jefferson County, Kentucky, the Brianna Taylor case was a failure of several steps and, and warrants, I think, are sort of left out of a lot of the popular discussion about it. What has changed in the culture among judges in Jefferson County when it comes to issuing search warrants, if anything, since 2020? Yeah, I'm not sure anything has. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I think that judges are more aware of the um, public light on if a warrant goes bad. But like you just said, it's not every warrant by any means that is going to go bad. Uh, I think that during campaigns, Judges are certainly more aware that they, you know, during this last election cycle, uh, unlike any prior judicial election cycle that I've seen in Louisville, there was a really big focus on trying to elect judges who are uh, geared more towards police accountability. Um, But when the rubber hits the road, I'm not really sure anything has changed. As you might know, I proposed a a sweeping rule change that would um, have 
affected the way that we do a lot of things with regards to warrants, and it got absolutely nowhere. What were those changes? How are warrants issued now as a general matter in Kentucky that you find insufficient? You know, in Kentucky, we have 120 counties, so it's it's different all over the state. But in Louisville, the process in most cases is that an officer will contact a judge who is on call. We have 17 district court judges and we have 13 circuit court judges, but only the district judges are on call. So every 17th day as a district judge, you are on call to review search warrants. So the typical um, pattern would be for an officer to find out who the on-call judge is, contact them, let them know they have a search warrant that needs to be reviewed, and then usually they will email it to the on-call judge, although it certainly can be reviewed in person. I would say that that is probably how at least 90% of search warrants in Kentucky or in Louisville are reviewed. Uh, the judge, I'm sorry, the officer though does not have to go through the on-call judge. There is no rule that states they have to use the on-call judge. They can go to literally any judge they want. And um, Mary Shaw, for example, was not the on-call judge on the day of that that warrant was signed in the Breonna Taylor case because Mary was a circuit court judge. Circuit court judges have the jurisdiction to review any search warrant, uh, but they are not generally the ones tasked with that. So I may have an officer who will show up at the courthouse and say, hey, I'm just looking for a judge to review a search warrant. That's not that uncommon, but typically they go through the on-call judge. So one rule change that I proposed would be that if those warrant requests would have to go through the on-call judge or the person serving as their backup as already scheduled uh, rather than allowing judge shopping. Now, uh, Kentucky has largely gotten rid of no-knock warrants. Yes. Largely. Yes. In response to uh, the Breonna Taylor case. Um, Katura Heron who was with the uh, ACLU of Kentucky. I suppose she may still be with the ACLU of Kentucky. She's now a state lawmaker. She wrote a piece a while back uh, in, t- in late 2020, basically suggesting that the castle doctrine, which is your home is your castle, and a lot of the things that that implies when it comes to state intervention into your home, runs headlong into uh, this notion of, of no-knock warrants. And that, that I think, is just an underappreciated point. It is absolutely true. So we still have them uh, in in some ways in Kentucky, and that is for circumstances where there's, a, there's potentially human life at stake. Is that basically true? It is. I have to tell you, though, my personal hot take on this is that It is good that we have banned no-knock warrants, but a lot of warrants are served without knocking and not labeled no-knock warrants. As in the case with the Brianna, as in the case of Brianna Taylor, there's precious little evidence that the officers involved did, as Attorney General Daniel Cameron uh, asserted in public, uh, that this the warrant in question was served as a knock and announce warrant. There was no right. no no one in the immediate area could corroborate the idea that the police announced themselves before 
uh, knocking in the door. Yeah. And as a defense lawyer, I mean, I just saw hundreds of videos where the warrant was served, certainly not with um, the clearance to do a no-knock warrant. It was just a regular warrant. And what occurs is the officers come to the door, they knock, they immediately enter. Suddenly it's not a no-knock warrant, but they the, the knock is meaningless. It's perfunctory. It's performative. Right, because there there is no specific set amount of time between the announce, the exactly. knock, and the kicking in of the door. Exactly. It what is, good is the knock if you immediately go in anyway? So uh, fixing this process, uh, you talked about there are electoral consequences. You mentioned Mary Shaw, who issued the warrants in this in the Breonna Taylor case. She narrowly lost her reelection bid. She um, did. So there are political consequences, but it also strikes me that uh, those don't have to be persistent, right? That is, we come to expect a certain way things are done. We don't fully internalize all the time why we have certain rules in place. And what is customary is not necessarily what is serving the public. Uh, and 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 electoral consequences are ephemeral, perhaps. So in, in terms of shoring up the process of making sure that when police engage in this incredibly invasive process of entering someone's home uh, with the permission of a judge, um, you made some proposals, but is there anything else that that ought to ought to weigh on the minds of of judges more regularly? Yes. So the proposal that I made did not just address you must use the on-call judge rather than choosing a judge who you want. Uh, it also would have um, mandated the recording of conversations between the judge and the officers related to issuance of the warrant. As it stands now, none of that is recorded. Um, it would have allowed for all conversations to go through emails, so then the emails could have just been preserved. Um, but it, there would be some record of any discussion between the officers and the judge related to issuance of the warrant. Um, and again, that did not go anywhere. But with regards to what judges can and I think should look for, um, you know, I, I, I understand that judges do not want to get in the position of second-guessing every statement that is put into an affidavit requesting a search warrant. However, that does not mean that there should be zero second-guessing of the information contained in that affidavit. I think it is incumbent upon judges to ask questions as to um, how information contained in the affidavit was received and confirmed. Um, using the Breonna Taylor case as an example, uh, I'm not saying that Judge Shaw should have known to do this, and, and again, hindsight is 2020. but asking questions such as, uh, where did the information come from that packages were coming to this home? In my view, one of, one of the things that stood out to me most about the affidavit in that particular warrant, and by no means do I claim to be perfect. I will tell you that when this happened, the first thing I did was search my email to see whether or not I had signed that warrant with a uh, sinking feeling, hoping that it had not been me. 
because it really could have been just about anyone. But one of the things that stands out to me about that particular affidavit is the length of time that had passed between uh, any investigation tying that the individual who they were looking for to Breonna Taylor's apartment and when the warrant was sought. It had, I think, been a couple of months since there had been any connection uh, of him to that apartment. That would have jumped out at me as a prior defense attorney immediately as a staleness issue. But staleness is not even a term you would know if you hadn't done a lot of criminal work, in my opinion. So I think it's judges just really need to be on the lookout for anything that does not point to uh, a very recent and strong investigation showing, um, you know, that a crime has likely been committed and that evidence of it is inside that location. You know, and, and for the run of the mill person, uh, you know, had had police executed this search more judiciously instead of like at, you know, just after midnight on uh, mm-hmm. March 13th, mm-hmm. 2020. Um, this could have been just a run of the mill sort of major inconvenience for Absolutely. Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker. And uh, so I, I wonder if, why do police believe, why did police believe that they needed to engage in this kind of tactic at all? I <laughs> I believe that they believed that it made them safer. I think that police go into a lot of these situations with the number one concern being their own safety and believing that the element of surprise provides them with safety that it doesn't. We know it doesn't based on the data. We know that it does not make them safer. And this is a really good example of a case where there doesn't seem to have been much effort into making a strong determination of the habits of the people who lived in the home, whether or not they were armed, whether there were any children in the home. All of these things are uh, things that a police department should consider. And listen, a judge should not be in the business of telling the police when or how to execute a warrant. That is not the uh, judicial function. Uh, We should be able to trust that they will execute these in ways that are safest for both themselves and for the people that they're interacting with. Uh, But in a lot of cases, we see that that is not what has happened. There hasn't been a lot of serious investigation um, into the normal comings and goings of a residence in question. There used to be a thing that police would use, and they may still use it, um, but I used to see it a lot more, called a risk matrix. And in a risk matrix, it is based upon data related to prior service of search warrants across the country And it is sort of a um, questionnaire that a police officer or officers use to determine, uh, based on answering these questions, here is what the risk level is, and here is what's recommended for how to serve this warrant. Julie Kalin is a circuit judge in Louisville, Kentucky. We spoke last week. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.